Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. This is my dad, Ted. Welcome to the Smart Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Ted Knightsky. Hey, this week I'm honoring a request that I received for the podcast, and that was, quote, Ted, can you share some more wisdom on parenting, and more specifically, how to parent? (laughs) Well, uh, how? Well, I appreciate being thought of for this question, and my answer is yes. Now, podcast platforms come with analytics, and weirdly, my most listened to podcasts have always been when I have a theme of parenting. They get shared the most, listened to the most, and especially when we talk about strategies for raising children. Now, while I do not proclaim to be a parenting expert, I do know a few things and believe they are universal. First, well, the first is that if you think you've mastered parenting, you are lying (laughs) to yourself and others. Parenting, I've learned, is... Well, it's a series of minor and major hot messes that you either learn from or repeat. Parenting is all about what you reinforce and how you act, respond, and demonstrate, and how you model care and concern. Parenting is lonely. It's anxiety-riddled. It's a journey that feels hopeless one moment, and then the next moment you feel confident, certain, and on top of the world, only to hit a new challenge and do a new and totally different style of dance. However, There is hope for us all, and that is if we simply recognize that our obligations as parents never end. What we do with our children matters, and how we teach them makes a huge difference. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to give you a few simple parenting principles that might help you with your children, may help you as a colleague and a leader, and might even help you if you're an educator as you learn the art of managing the many personalities of the people you serve. My background has uniquely prepared me for this conversation. You see, I started my journey as a professional educator in 1987 when I was 16 years old, when I became a paid classroom aide for students with significant cognitive and physical disabilities. I think the greatest learning I have ever had in my life as an educator, a person, and now a father and husband was in that classroom that summer. I learned quickly the importance of two things when working with children. Relationships and trust matter. With those two things, people feel safe, cared for, and are willing to take risks with and for you. Without them, there will be a constant battle for control, a never-ending opportunity to be manipulated, frustration on your part and theirs, and a quick willingness for the person in charge, i.e. mom or dad, to want to walk away feeling hopeless and angry, laying in bed, staring at the ceiling fan, just going around all night long. I mean, I don't know, am I the only one? My career took me on a great journey and allowed me to observe a lot of different parenting skills and deficits. When I started as a young teacher, I observed families and it allowed me to build stronger relationships with my students because I was able to learn why the children were the way they were. I learned why my colleagues were the way they were and how we all are the way we are and how we're all so different. I'm a teacher, a principal. I've been a superintendent. I'm an uncle, a cousin, and a dad. I have seen some wild things in my life, including 
parents blindly supporting the positions of their children with no regard for the consequences. I have seen parents so intent on being their child's friend that they'll get themselves arrested for neglect instead of simply sending them to school. And through it all, no matter what, no matter what the parents have done, I've learned that the way we treat our young is how they grow and likely what they become. Kind kids, mean kids. Caring kids, selfish kids. They're all without a doubt a product of their environments. I also distinctly remember when parents taught me to become more empathetic. Quick story, and then the reflections for parenting. When I was in my second year of teaching, oh, I thought I had a pretty good handle on children. I was, after all, young and new, and I was recently married, and I had 13 months of teaching experience and four years of coaching varsity soccer under my belt. How could I not know everything about supporting a child? Ah, that's dripping with sarcasm, if you don't pick up on that. It was at a fall parent-teacher conference when I was sitting at the table in that giant gymnasium when we used to set up in the gyms, and I told the parent that I believed their child would benefit from a structured time after school to do homework and have the support of that parent sitting next to them to help them guide them and find different ways to become successful with my homework. I went on that sharing my thoughts would be very helpful for them, and I continued to give different advice and how if they were to simply sit with their child and have a conversation around the homework at the dinner table, well, it would help that child a ton and reduce the stress of parenting. That parent looked at me, likely noticed that I didn't even have to shave every day and was dripping with both the confidence and ignorance of being young, and she asked me, Mr. Knightsky, do you have children? I quickly stated, no, my wife and I have not been blessed to have children yet. And she said, someday you will, and then you'll know what a dumb thing that is to say to me. She very politely got up, shook my hand, and walked away. I thought of that interaction every time, years later when I sat down with my own kids at the end of a workday, at the peak of frustration, just wanting to eat dinner, when my kids were asking for help in the designer build of a diorama, to review a paper, to help them find something, or to do math. Oh, and every time I thought of that, I sat at the dinner table praying the electricity would go out so that my kids would not see the anguish on my face. Now I get it. The point we can't tell parents what to do. They don't always know, and what works for one is not going to work for the others. Instead, we can offer reflections, tips and tools, but we can't tell them what to do. They have to opt in. So, I will offer you a few reflections to help you think about how you manage and support your children. I'm going to provide a bunch of different reflections for you, and I want you to think about using these as an opportunity to discuss with others how they're doing. Or you listen and ask yourself, how are you doing? I mean, the only validation some of us get when we parent is the quips of a grandparent, a comment from a teacher, or what we see other kids where, how, and how they act when they're with our own children. None of those things help us sleep at night. And again, the cycle of anxiety and confidence, anxiety and confidence that comes with parenting just continues to loop. So the first reflection for you is this. What expectations do you clearly articulate for your children and family? At our house, at the Knightsky house, and again, we're not experts, we're just very fortunate. We have two main ideas that got pounded into the children over and over again when they were little. The first was, put everyone you meet first, and bees are better. 
If at any moment you get selfish in this family, you make demands, you slam a door, you refuse to help others, well, you're going to find yourself in a little bit of a timeout to reflect upon what it is that you're doing to impact you more than others. How you are putting you above everyone else. Because in a world where if we put everyone else first, we'll never be truly second because everyone around us will put us first. And making kids aware of their impact upon others is a very important principle and skill. They're part of a family unit. We don't exist for them. We exist for each other. If you have a child that is putting themselves first, is rude, or refuses to help, they've likely been trained to be allowed to do that. Parenting, and I'm sorry to say this, it takes work. It takes resilience. And oh man, is it easy to take the easy path, take your foot off the gas, get upset and say, fine, just walk away and I'll take care of it. Well, that, my friends, is how we teach others to manipulate us. And we enable our children to do that all the time. All of us. Children are constantly studying the inputs and outputs of their parents. The baby, the infant, learns. If I, as a baby, smile and giggle, well, the older people smile and giggle too. And if I cry loud, they jam a bottle or pacifier in my mouth. When they're 11 years old... <laughs> They're not much different because if they are passive aggressive and don't unload the dishwasher, do their homework or meet the expectations, they get the response from you saying things like, oh, I'm too tired for this and I'm giving up. I'll just do it. And then they've learned something new. They've learned that they can tire you out. Expectations matter. And so does putting in the work as a parent. Children in our homes are a temporary thing. They're just squatters at a point in your home. And if you've had enough and enough high expectations for them, well, there won't be conflict because they'll meet them as long as they're reinforced and really expected. The bees are better rule was a simple checklist we established for the kids when they started school. Bees are better in class. So figure out what that means for you, how to get them, be there for others, and be your best. I don't think our kids heard it from me in the fashion in that, that same fashion with great frequency. But I can assure you, in one way or another, both kids from both of their parents at our house were held to that level of accountability. Which leads me to the last part of the expectation reflection. Are you and your spouse, or the partner, or their parent, on the same page? If I had a nickel for every time I saw a child masterfully manipulating their mom or dad or their moms or their parents... I'd be live streaming this from my jet on the way to dine in Paris. That's a lot of nickels. The greatest breakdown in a child's life is the lack of consistency from the adults. When a child learns that I can do this with one parent and then this with another, they learn control and make decisions that lead to great levels of frustration for the adults in that child's life. And most importantly, they learn to elude, elude accountability. My next reflection for you, what are you modeling? You know the cliche, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? That is insanely accurate because that's what we do. How we do it and why we do things informs the little eyeballs that are watching us and they don't wander far from the tree. My mom tells this great story of when she was in high school and her parents caught her smoking cigarettes. She and her girlfriends were busted and couldn't deny that they had been smoking. Now, this was taking place in the mid-1960s, and almost all adults at that time smoked. 
So the quickest way to establish your cool, other than identify if you were a Beatles or Rolling Stones fan, was the smoke. My mom tells this great story of how her mom said to her, you just wait until your father gets home. And then when my grandfather did get home, he took my mom into the other room, sat her down at a table, and looked at her, and began telling her that he was disappointed that she was smoking, and how dangerous it was, and how it wasn't healthy for her. And my favorite part of the story is that as he was lecturing her, he was instinctively pulling out a cigarette and lighting it, and then he began to smoke and wave the cigarette at her as he was telling her not to. She told me this, and it was the funniest thing to her because she was being told not to do the thing that her favorite person was doing right in front of her. What's the point? You'll get what you model. If you have a temper, the kids will have a temper. If you like music, they'll like music. If you use salty language, they'll use salty language. If you are kind to others, they'll eventually be kind to strangers and everyone else, and so on and so on. What you model is something that will come back to you. And frankly, modeling is something that you have to actually become a little bit paranoid about if you're a parent. When my son was four, he had a day with his grandparents, and my father-in-law was playing a card game with him, the classic game Old Maid. They were putting their pairs together and working not to get the old maid, and Charlie was sitting with one card left, and Pops had two. Just then, Charlie pulls the card from my father-in-law, and it's the old maid. And in the cutest little voice, he says, Aw, sh-. And my father-in-law loves to tell the story because he thought to himself, Yes, I've got something on Ted now for swearing because Ted's always talking about whatever we do, make sure that we're making good choices in front of Charlie. Make sure we're doing this. Make sure we're doing that. And my father-in-law then says to Charlie, You shouldn't say that word, Charlie. That's a bad word. And then Pops asks his first grandchild, waiting and expecting to hear an answer. And he says, Charlie, where did you learn that word? And my son says, From mommy. (laughs) The next reflection is simple. Describe how you expect respect from your children. Now, I don't mean some sort of a weird salute me when I'm walking in the room and you will respect me in every manner and every fashion. I mean, how do you expect respect from your children for their relationships within the family, the relationships with others, and with their environment? When children come into schools and are emotionally destructive, meaning they bully or are physically uncaring about materials or resources, it is likely because they have not been shown how to be respectful, they feel threatened, or they live in a world where they are modeled those specific behaviors. Now, as I say this out loud, I feel like I'm like 187 years old from another century, but it is a hard and steady fact. Respect for others and the environment around them is critical, and it is taught. One time when I was a kid, maybe six or seven, I was driving with my grandma Ginny to an epic sleepover at her house. She had this very cool white Cadillac with red leather seats, and I always thought I was hot stuff sitting in the front seat. I mean, in 2023, if I was seven years old, I'm pretty certain I would have been in a booster seat in the back of the car. Anyway, I was sitting next to her, and all of a sudden a bag from McDonald's hit the windshield while we were on the highway, and it had been thrown from the car in front of us. And she snapped and said, That is someone who has never been taught to be respectful. She then turned on me as if I had thrown the bag out of the car in front of her and lectured me on how a respectful person would never do something like that. They would be respectful of others. They would be respectful of our community. And they would have respect for themselves and be proud to put things where they belonged. I honestly remember thinking I was in trouble. But you know what I never forgot? That moment and that voice. 
How are you expecting respect and most importantly, taking teachable moments and using them to ensure a little person, a good little person grows into a respectful person? I use the example of the trash, but respect is modeled all over the place, in person, on TV, in books, I mean, everywhere. And what do you expect for respect and how you reinforce it and how you educate those around you? Well, that's what you'll get. Look for the examples and exploit the opportunity to teach them each time they appear. Why? Well, that's the next reflection. And I'm not going to go into this one very deeply because the answer and the reflection are in the prompt. Do you reinforce what you expect? The single greatest way to support the development of relationships and people is through the use of positive reinforcement. And I have two prompts for you. The first is this. Always, always positively reinforce what you expect. And second, don't ever forget that when you ignore an expectation, it actually reinforces whatever behavior you didn't want. In other words, a behavior ignored is a behavior reinforced. If you believe for a minute that if you continually ignore a bad behavior, that it will go away, you've lost the ability to empathize. I mean it. When you were a kid, if your parents ignored a bad behavior, it wasn't going to go away. You were going to do it more. I mean, if your mom tells you that you can't eat any more candy at your grandma or grandpa's house, and then they catch you, your grandma catches you eating a piece of candy, and she winks, you've just got the green light to break the rules. And as a parent, don't forget it, because I will always take the candy. Next reflection. When there is a struggle or a conflict, how are you allowing for choice? Now, before I get into this, there are certain things that will not have a choice, primarily things concerning safety and core expectations. However, great parents always have a choice involved for a child when there is a conflict. You see, when the child has choice and voice, they're more likely to own the decision and go in the direction that you expect. We are all in need of getting out in some fashion when we get ourselves in a pickle. And when kids begin to eat, you know, like the fight you have over finish your dinner, a trick I learned was not to minimize how much they had to eat in order to get them to eat by doing things like, okay, if you just eat one more bite, if you just eat one more bite, then you get a cookie. Or worse, if you don't finish your dinner, you don't get dessert. Well, if I didn't want dessert, I'm winning both ways. Again, modeling and manipulating, inputs and outputs. Instead, give them choices. I mean, like for the little ones, like a two-year-old. My favorite was always to divide the food into piles. You can pick which pile you want, but you have to finish that pile. And if you don't, then I get to pick the pile for you. In other words, you make a choice. And if you choose not to make a choice, you're still making a choice, which is that I get to make the choice. There is a choice. And as they age, don't constantly get into a negotiation with them around expectations. Instead, just give them choices. For instance, when you have a 16 or 17 year old and they say things like, can I stay out past my curfew tonight and come home an hour later? A classic conflict, especially when it is led off by all the other parents are letting their kids stay out later than me. Okay, first of all, wait a minute. For those of you who hear stuff like that from a teenager, just remember that all five of his friends or her friends are saying the same thing to their parents and the tribe of juveniles is looking for the weak parent to exploit. If your kid says that, Tell them you're going to call the other mom and ask if she can turn back the curfew to the old one so that you and your child aren't in that position. And I can assure you, your child will never say that again to you. <laughs> All right, but back to choices. If your child wants to stay out later, give them a choice. Like, if you want to stay out an hour later tonight, that means you cannot go out tomorrow. But it's your choice. So if you want to stay out later tonight, you just get to stay home with us tomorrow. You choose. 
Choice is critical in conflict with your own children. And that scenario I just gave you is the exact opposite of the threat. And the threat would be, you can if you stay out an hour later and you come home late, you're grounded tomorrow night. No, you can stay out the extra hour, but tomorrow night you stay home. Because as a parent, as a dad, I'm not laying in bed two nights in a row worrying about you or having Summer Megan lean into me and say, you think they're okay? Where are they? What are they doing? No, this is our house. These are our rules and we are a family and we are first concerned about you and your safety. So that takes us to the last principle. How good are you at shutting up and listening? <laughs> Sorry to say it like that, but great parents are great listeners. And what I mean is that you don't interrupt your child when they're talking and tell them, oh, I understand what you're going through, but let me tell you how much harder it was for me. I mean, did you really walk to school uphill both ways? Come on, let them talk. Now, the reason is that the more they talk, the more you learn, the more you can guide, and the more you'll be relevant to them when they need you. My favorite example, which a lot of parents learn, is that when you get to drive a group of kids somewhere, man, I could not believe how quickly they forgot I was in the front seat of that car driving. They were gossiping. They were sharing things about teachers. They were talking about other parents. They were talking about their plans for the weekend. They were talking about the things they were going to do that they shouldn't do right in front of me. I just listened and they just kept talking. Many times Charlie got waved back to the car and reminded to make good choices. Remember, people will say out loud that the best conversations they have ever had are when the other people listen the whole time and they individually get to talk the entire time. And kids are no different. Now, let's invert this as your last reflection here for this episode. And it's the opposite. Because sometimes you need to simply say, you're going to listen and shut up. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean, it's actually shut up and listen. I'm sorry to say it that way to you. But at the end of the day, being a parent has an element of firmness to it. We're not their friends. And when we are more concerned with being liked than being loved, we're going to find ourselves being neither in their lives because we will have taught them to take advantage of us. There is a point when, as a parent, we have to speak with both authority and love. A child may not look at you. They may not appear to be listening. But I will tell you what, they are. And when you most need it, I can assure you, that they are hearing your voice. Because when they are not in your presence, you want them to hear your voice in their head. That is the voice of the ones we love, the wisdom we've learned and the expectations that are from a place of care and concern. I still, in my head, every time I see someone throw trash out the window of their car, hear my grandmother's voice, which was 45 years ago. Some of the best lectures of my life have been replayed in my head, and while I may have resented them in the moment as a bucking teenager, when you are being held accountable, you feel valued, you are given choices, and are reinforced for what it is you're supposed to be, then in the moment you have to rise up and be the independent person we want you to be, well, they'll hear us. Never stop telling stories. Never stop being firm in your expectations. Always provide choices avoid being manipulated, and with your own family, and heck, everyone else, always lead with love. So let's do some smart thinking. Describe the areas you feel you're doing well. Describe the areas you can improve. Take time now to go through the reflections, and then list others in your life who could benefit from hearing these reflections. That's it. 
That's the Smart Thinking Podcast. Hey, as always, thank you for listening, and please make sure to rate and share this episode. Also, as you go through this, you should be getting the TH4, and if you're not, go on to CESA6.org and search for Buffalo Leadership, and you'll find all of the tools and the most recent other information you need to help you lead. And finally, thank you to the Well Pennies for their great music. As we end each of these episodes with more of an upbeat and optimistic song, it comes from their awesome catalog, which you can find on any streaming service. All right. A quick piece here for you leaders. Parents are begging for ways to be better. I truly believe we're all doing the best we know how, and if we don't know another way, let's get together and support our parents and each other. Parenting is a very sensitive area, and one that once criticized, well... That's going to make people pretty defensive. However, I have found that if I get a group of parents in a room together and we start to discuss what it is they are facing, they all, they all find out that what we are facing is similar, no matter how well put together we may look. The children who we are responsible for do what kids have done since their birth. They manipulate us to get what they want. Now, I know manipulative sounds so evil, but it's really not. We're calling out a behavior here, folks. We all do it to get what we want, what we need, what we desire. Leaders run into storms. They run into the storms they're facing like the buffalo. And they work together as a herd to support each other. I love being with parents and sharing my wild ride as a teacher and a parent. And if you ever want me to facilitate a parent evening, I'm in. It's the most rewarding work. And why? What work is more important than supporting the development of parents so that they can support the development of their children? There isn't any. So this week, run into the storms that you're facing and lean into others. The storms are tough and the journeys, well, they're actually pretty fun, especially when they are shared with others. I left home such a long time ago. I swear I'd never stop believing. Oh, the ache of letting go, even though bare bones was all that I was leaving on your life, on your life. In my bed with the light overhead, God knows I try not to remember.
see anything around me But in the dark there's a glow You never know what lands lie open in